Welcome back to the Whiteboard Sessions, based on Luther's Small Catechism. This week, Pastor Jung gives an overview of the Ten Commandments, and we take a closer look at the First Commandment, You shall have no other gods. Let's listen in. Uh, welcome everyone this morning as we continue on uh, with our study through Luther's Small Catechism. Um, let us begin with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in my life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Amen. Well, very well. Uh, today, as we continue on uh, with Luther's small catechism, uh, we continue on with the law. Now, when we think about the law, which in your catechism, if you have it with you at this time, we will begin with page 54 of your catechism, where we are asked the question, what are the Ten Commandments? Now, the Ten Commandments are the law of God. They are given by God for His people. Now, even before the Ten Commandments were given, we very well know that the law was written on our hearts. As it reads in Romans 2, 14 to 15, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now again, the natural knowledge of God is given, well, first and foremost, by the creation. That we know God exists and that He reveals to us His power by the power of creation. It is by that creation that God reveals to us who He is. But also, as we talk about today, we know that God exists, the natural knowledge of God, by His law. That we all have the knowledge of what is good and right. Even people who do not believe in God have a moral law that they know what is good and right and what is bad and wrong. And for us, we know what is holy versus what is sinful. So the law, as we know it, the conscience, as we call it, we very well know that when we, when we sin against God's moral law, we know that we have done something sinful or as the world would say, something bad or wrong. But we, under God, we know that it's based on our sin. But when we do something right and that is God-pleasing uh, to our Father, uh, we very well know uh, that uh, definitely we please our Father and that we live in His name and we, and, and we very well know that we are abiding by His law. And the world would assume this in their verbiage of, I'm doing a good work or I'm doing the right things. So we see uh, when we talk about the law, 
God reveals himself by this law and he gives us, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he gives us our conscience, right? He gives us our conscience. So therefore, as it says um, in Romans 2, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts even accuse, right? The conscience accuses us. And this accusation is based on the law of God. Now, when speaking of uh, the Ten Commandments, that was given in Exodus 20, where there uh, God has spoken these words, saying in Exodus 21 to 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, he addresses the Israelites, saying, This is who I am. I have brought you out of the hands of Pharaoh, I have given you freedom, and now I'm giving you these laws so that it may go well with you, that it is good for you. And these laws were comprised into two tables. We have the first table of the law, which is commandments one to three, and we have the second, second table of the law, which is commandments four to 10. Well, the first table we see right here with one to three, based on Deuteronomy 6, it reads, especially verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. We are called to love our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Knowing what he has done for us, as he did for the Israelites, and as he has done for you by sending you Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. We know that our Father has given us this law uh, that is good, that is right, that shows us how to love as Christians, to love God, Deuteronomy 6, 5, but also in the second table of the law on how we ought to love our neighbor. And this comes out in Mark 12, 30 to 31. This is about pertaining to the neighbor. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Right, so the first table of law, loving God. Second table of the law, loving neighbor. This is what the commandments are comprised of. Now, it's easy. I think a lot of people in this world will say, well, you guys follow the Ten Commandments and other religions might have their precepts of, of their own laws, but isn't it all the same? I think that's the question that a lot of people have. Whether it's the Ten Commandments or, again, other worldly religion and their laws, isn't it all the same? Now, we're going to dig through that today and we'll show you the distinct difference between what these laws point us to and how we ought to live by them. They're not, they're not simply just laws that we must abide to and that if we do enough, we will earn our way to salvation. But these commandments show us even far greater the need of the one outside of ourselves. And we will indeed get into that later. But as we continue today, we're really going to focus in on the first commandment. First commandment. 
Now this is on page, if you're following along in your catechism, on page 56, page 56. Now on this catechism it reads, you shall have, according to scripture as well, of course, you shall have, you shall have no other gods. Mind you this, lowercase g, not uppercase, but lowercase, this is, uh, as we look at it, idols. I think immediately people think that idols are simply statues or things that they worship, but idols can take on many different forms. It could be, of course, statues. Um, it could be money. It could be pride. It could be your reputation. It could be the material things that you have in your life. These could be the idols that you have, things that you trust, things that you cling to. So the Lord is saying, you shall have no other idols, right? Or gods, lowercase g. But what does this mean? We always ask the question, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This is the mark of faith, friends, that we should, by God's word, fear, revere, honor, respect, but also know that he is a wrathful God, that he is a holy, jealous, loving God who, well, has, wants no part of sin. And when we do sin, of course, uh, we, we repent because we very well know uh, of God's great wrath and how he calls us to this repentance. But we should fear, love, and trust in God. Fear, love, and trust. These are the attributes of what it means to love God. And can we do this ourselves? No, it takes faith. Faith given by God's word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we will talk about as we reach uh, Article 3 of the Apostles' Creed, but also faith given in baptism. That as we're baptized into Christ, which we will learn about in the future, that as we're baptized into Christ, we also take on his name, which leads us in these commandments. So we should fear, love, and trust. That we should love God, as we talked about earlier in Deuteronomy, uh, to love God in, in Mark 12, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, even with all your strength, but also to trust with this faith, to trust in what he has given to us as he is our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That as we speak about later in the Apostles' Creed, that he is the creator, he is the redeemer, that he paid for our sins, that he created the heavens and the earth, that he has given us our being, that he is all-powerful in, his, in its, all of its entirety, that God uh, would provide everything for us, but also that he makes us holy by giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us the word, uh, which gathers us into his name. So we should fear, love, and trust in God. Keyword, above all things. So in other words, God is saying, your idols will not do. Your idols that you have, will not give you what God can give. That when we trust in our idols, they will bring you emptiness, inevitably also destruction, darkness. And you'll go down that dark path, which 
Well, it turns away from God and eventually forsakes him altogether. That is the danger of these idols. They turn you away from God and the goodness that only our eternal God can give. And that is his word. That is his promise. Right? So we see right here as we continue, uh, as we go back uh, to the Bible, well, before we do that, I guess as we go through these commandments, it's good to uh, question, our, question ourselves based on these commandments. Now, some good questions that we can ask are and include, uh, do we worry? Are we addicted to worrying? Are we selfish? Do we love other things more than God himself? Do we trust in other things more than God himself? And do we love and fear other things more than God himself? So we must always ask ourselves, in times of distress, where do we flee? Because wherever we flee, whatever that thing we flee to is, that is our idol. Right? If it's not uppercase G God, and we're going to other things other than our one true God, that will be, or that is, our idol. So a good thing to question yourself, do I fear, love, and trust in God above all things? And we'll talk about that and, and unpeel that after, as we go through this study today. But remember that question today. Do I truly fear, love, and trust God above all things? Or do I trust in something else? Now, as we read, as you turn to your Bibles, uh, to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, here we read about the rich young man, and I'll read it for you, but please follow along in your Bible. Verse 17, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we read this uh, story in the Gospel of Mark to show us above all things. Yes, the rich man did many things for the Lord. He didn't steal. He honored his father and mother. He did not gossip and bear false witness. He did not murder. He protected his neighbor. But yet he failed in one thing, and that is the treasure of earthly possessions. He couldn't let go of what he loved, and that was his material good. That's the thing. You know, when we talk about the rich young man, he might have convinced himself that he is a pretty good person, but the greatest thing that he faced was his lover of possessions, and this is known as idolatry, right? It's coveting our idols and um, trusting in our idols to give us what we need. If he feared, loved, and trust God above all things, he wouldn't have gone away disheartened. He would have let everything go, followed the Lord, and gave everything to the poor. 
but yet he still held on to that idol of his material possessions. You shall have no other gods. That's what we learn, right? In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, 32, when Moses was out on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments of the Lord, the people were growing impatient. Moses was gone many days. What are we going to do without Moses, our leader? Now, they were pressuring Aaron, second in command. They were pressuring Aaron to help them out. And they told Aaron, we're going to give you all of our jewelry, all of our gold. And there you're going to fashion a golden calf for us to worship. We need something to worship because we do not know or when Moses will come back. So, out of, all, out of the pressure of the people, Aaron did just that. He fashioned a golden calf out of all of their precious metals. And what do we learn from this? Though they had received the word of God and who God was as their deliverer from Pharaoh, in times of distress, they sought refuge in that golden calf. They sought refuge in their idols. So we must ask ourselves today, first and foremost, when we say uh, we fear, love, and trust God above all things, we must ask, who is our God? And I said earlier, this is our God, that He is our Creator, He is our Redeemer, and He is our Sanctifier. Now, that is the totality of who our God is, that He is the all-consuming, all-powerful, all-knowing, that He is everywhere, that our powerful God has continued to provide for us in always in our entire being. And therefore, He calls us to trust in Him. God is saying, trust in me because I am your eternal good. For we must ask ourselves, what will these earthly things, these worldly gains truly give to us? Of course, in times of distress, we look at those idols and say, wow, this feels good. This fills me up. But does it truly fill you up? That is why the Lord says you should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Because we very well know that, again, He is the giver of all eternal good. That He is your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God, who gives you the greatest gift through all things, even in the times, especially in the times of distress. The gift of the promise and the hope of eternal life, forgiveness, and salvation. For when the devil, the world, and the flesh always tempts us with these idols, we fail to forget who the one true God is. We read Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. What refuge do we have in man? We look at Genesis 3 in the fall in the garden, verses 1 to 7. And the devil was giving, giving Adam and Eve. They were giving them this picture of what life could be like if they ate from that tree. That they wouldn't die as God promised or commanded them that if they ate from that tree they would die. But the devil said they wouldn't. But also that they would be like God. 
Again, if we trust in the flesh, if we trust in the devil, if we trust in the world, what will that give us? And we see it in the garden. It brought sin into the world. Not only sin, but also death, destruction, chaos, sickness, afflictions, darkness, all because of the fall in the garden, because they did not trust and they did not follow the command that the Lord had given them. They wanted to be their own little gods. However, on the other hand, there we see the refuge in the Lord. Now, the greatest picture that we see of that refuge is, of course, in Jesus Christ on the cross who died for us and for our sins. But also in the Old Testament, we see David in 1 Samuel 17, where David said to the Philistine, Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. David seemed like he was in a very precarious situation going against this giant. But as he was in the name of the Lord, he took refuge in who his one true uppercase G God was, that his God would deliver him, and therefore, when he faced Goliath, indeed, in the name of the Lord, he defeated the Philistine. So today we learn, as we talk about the first commandment, that we ought to not have any other gods, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, that we should not regard or worship any other creature other than God. That we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things because He is our one true God. Right? Money won't give you what God can give you. Right? Reputation or, or your own security in this world will never provide you with what God can only give through His promises. Therefore, we're called to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So I guess my command for you today is this. Go do this. Fear, love, trust in God above all things. Go do it. Go, go, and go. Be perfect. Do this by your own effort, and you will be with God. Now, if that was the case, and if I really meant that, we'd all be terrified because we very well know how easy it is because of our sinful nature that we will never measure up when looking even at the first commandment. Now, I said earlier, people think that the commandments are just 10 commandments or 10 precepts that we follow to gain or earn our way to eternal life or to hope that we've done enough to merit favor with God. But all day, we can dwell in this commandment. And all it will do for all of us is bring us to nothing. 
it'll bring us to repentance. That is, to confess our sins, to know very well that we have fallen short to the glory of God. And as we talk about this first commandment today, just one of the rest, right? As we talk about only one today, we must ask ourselves, who is able to keep these commandments? No person can keep any or all commandments perfectly except Jesus Christ. All who have faith in him by the power of his spirit willingly strive to keep these commandments, but yet, at the end of the day, it is all about Christ who keeps it for us. So what prevents us from keeping God's commandment, again, what prevents us is our sinful nature. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7.20 reads, There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Isaiah 64.6 reads, We have all become like one who is unclean. Even all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So immediately, when we talk about the first commandment, quickly we are diagnosed with, yes, do we do this? Do we put God above all things? Do we fear, trust, and love him above all things? Do we do that completely perfect? Now, James would say, James 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. See, people who say that they've been pretty good, God must be happy with me. I've been pretty good. Well, in terms of our sin, as James put it, those who break even one point of that law has fallen short. The first commandment shows us, yes, we ought to do this. But we very well know due to our sinful nature, ever since Genesis 3 and the fall, as we discussed earlier, Ecclesiastes 7.20, that no one in this world never sins, that we all are fallen short to the glory of God, that even our own righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. We know that whatever we bring to the table, it'll never be good enough. And this first commandment shows us this, that quickly we have fallen short to the glory of God. Right? So, my question for you again is today, can anyone be saved by the law? And the answer is no. We cannot be saved by the law. Now, the primary use of the law is used in these three ways. We call it three uses. The three uses of the law, curb, mirror, and rule. These are the three uses of the law. Now, the curb, as we know, and in your own time, if you could read 1 Timothy 1.9, we curb the world and its violent outbursts. It keeps the world in order. The second use of the law is the mirror. Like a mirror, it shows the reflection. It reads in Romans 3.20, it speaks of the reflection, as St. Paul says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law primarily shows us who we are as sinners. 
It's like when you go to the doctor and you hear that you have a sickness, there he diagnoses your sickness and he prescribes to you a remedy. Likewise, the law at the end of the day shows us this reflection of who we really are. And we can boast and say, well, I'm holy, I'm good, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm not like them, I'm a righteous person, you know, I haven't been that bad in my life, I'm pretty sure God uh, is pleased with what I have done, and that in turn might get me into uh, the afterlife somehow, or as many people would think in their heart and mind. But at the end of the day, the law shows us our sin. That indeed, all those self-justifications that we might have had before have all been crushed. That because of our sin, we know that we cannot speak for ourselves because of that sin. We cannot account or self-justify why we should merit favor from God. But that law shows us, the mirror, that reflection shows us that we need someone outside of ourselves because of the, the law shows us, well, the knowledge of our sin. And it shows us because of our sin that we are dead. We are lifeless and that we need someone to make us alive. And that law, at the end of the day, points us to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, who takes upon your sin, that knowledge of sin, he takes upon your sin, he goes to the cross, and he fulfills it as he dies for your sin. Not only does he die for your sin, but he dies the big death, that because of sin that has come into the world, death has followed suit. But when Jesus died on the cross, three days later, he rose again, thus breaking the grave so that we all not only are forgiven, but we also have eternal life and salvation. You know, without the law, we would never know the need of the gospel. Does that make sense? Without the law, we will never know the need of the gospel. If I think that I am a good person, inherently good, innately good, then I will need nothing else. But we know because of the original sin problem, that is Genesis 3 and the fall with Adam and Eve as they fail to trust in God above all things, sin came into the world. And we all have been born into sin, Romans 3.23. Right? And because of that sin, the law shows us very well not only that we have fallen short, but the law points us to Christ. And that is the distinct difference between um, many people that would think that all religions, well, their precepts are all the same. When in fact for us, the Ten Commandments, the law, it points us to the need of Christ. The law doesn't say just be better or do better or modify your behavior to improve your life, to show God how much you're worth. No, the law crushes you. It points the finger, it accuses you and says, well, are you good enough? The law shows you absolutely not. Just like you, you, you and I, we're all born into sin. And that's what makes us Christian, is that we need and we trust and we know the delivering work of Jesus Christ. That in all, all our nothingness, Jesus invites you, come all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, blessed are the poor in spirit. This poorness of spirit is because the law is written on our hearts, knowing that we fall short and knowing 
that we need a rescue. Idols can't rescue you, my friends. All the money in the world cannot overcome your sin and death. All the material possessions that you might have might, cannot cover your guilt. But it is the Lord, by His gracious power and promise, that He loves you so much that He sent you His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for the sins of the world. We cannot exclude the third use of the law. As children of God, we know that we are already forgiven and redeemed and that we live in God's name. Now we see the commandments in the rule. How can I love God and my neighbor? By God's grace, by His forgiveness, knowing that I have the newness of life by the gift of His word and sacraments, I very well know now how can I serve God, not because it will save me or it will give me favor with God, but how can I please Him? How can I honor Him and love Him? That is the rule for all Christians. So at the end of the day, ultimately, though we strive to follow God's law, we fall short. And thus, as children of God, this law shows us by faith that we need Jesus. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He is your remedy. He takes your curse. He takes my curse. And he puts it on himself, charging our curses to himself. He goes to the cross so that our sins are forgiven. That is our God. He doesn't let us be. It says, he doesn't tell us to just to pull up on your bootstraps and just try harder. But he says, I give you Jesus. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, remember this. No person can keep any or all commandments perfectly. The first commandment shows us that quickly. Humbles us to know that we don't have enough to bring to the table. The commandments show us and that we need Christ. Because Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He is the remedy that pays for your sins and that washes you clean. This is what it means to be a Christian. To know and to believe and to have faith in the gift of grace, Jesus Christ. So remember that day, my friends, as we go through this. That the primary uh, point that we see today is that, yes, we are called to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We must ask ourselves, do we do this? Are we successful in what God has called us to do? And quickly, the law shows us, especially in the second use, the reflection, that we do indeed fall short. And that there by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Word, by faith, we are pointed to Christ, our remedy for the forgiveness of our sins. This is, as Luther would say, as we celebrate the 500th year of the Reformation, that our life is of repentance. Our life is of repentance. And this first commandment clearly shows us how quickly all of us ought to repent 
for our sins. But thanks be to God that there Christ is to forgive us of those sins. May you all have a blessed week and may you go in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this study on Luther's Small Catechism. We hope this was helpful as you grow in the Christian faith and study of the Bible. For more information about Faith Lutheran Church, visit us on the web at faithmorepark.com. Dot com.